Father, even now, come by your spirit among us. Speak to us, mold us, and shape us into the image of your Son. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be seated, everyone. Good morning. Good to see all of you here. It's a good turnout for Labor Day weekend. I guess people can't go out of town because of COVID. So, <laughs> But it's so good to see all of you. I'd invite you to take out your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them and turn to Jonah chapter 4, our Old Testament reading. Um, we had deviated from the, the lectionary for a few weeks to do a four-part series on Jonah. And today is the last sermon from that series. So if you didn't like it, you're off the hook after this morning. But um, Jonah is just such a fascinating book to me. As we looked last week, we saw that Jonah finally obeyed God, even if he really didn't want to, if he did it begrudgingly. And he went and preached to the inhabitants of Nineveh. The Ninevites repented, much to Jonah's dismay, as we will see today. And because of their repentance, God spared the city. Last week, we also, as we looked at chapter 3 of Jonah, talked about how repentance is an essential part of salvation. And we talked about the idea of a lifestyle of repentance, the idea of day by day as we walk with God and as he conforms us more into the image of Jesus, turning more and more away from those things that aren't of him, sin and the things of the world are more fully turning and opening ourselves to God. We read from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, where we, we hear from God's word that godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Jonah had finally obeyed God and gone in obedience and preached to Nineveh, but he didn't like the outcome. And that's where the account in chapter 4 picks up today, as we find Jonah in a sad and pitiful state, angry, sulking that God had not destroyed Nineveh as he wanted God to, angry that they didn't get what Jonah thought they had coming to them. And the conclusion of the book of Jonah paints Jonah in a very poor light. He's really a rather pathetic picture of someone who just cannot accept the fact that God's compassion extends beyond him and his own people, the Hebrews. And as we look at this passage today, I trust that God will speak to us, to me and to you, that he by his word will powerfully speak to us again, as he has every week in this series, about the reach of God's grace, potentially to all people. And that he will also speak to us regarding his limitless mercy and compassion for sinful people just like you and me. And finally, I trust that we will learn an important and powerful lesson here. And it's this. Let God be God. So let's look at Jonah's ungodly anger first in verses 1 through 4. These verses open with Jonah becoming angry. He's angry with God. He's angry because he didn't get his way. It's all about him, what, what he wants, what he thinks is the just outcome. What he thinks God should have done as if somehow he is counsel to the Almighty. J 
Jonah thinks he knows how to handle things better than God. Look at Jonah's prayer in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is, it, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Don't let this point be missed. In these two verses, Jonah uses the words, I, me, or my Eight times. Eight times. I think that's a good thing for us to be conscious of because if we find that as we talk and as we act and even as we pray that the pronouns I, me, and my are the primary words that come up, we need to take a look inside of ourselves and ask God, God, what's going on here? Am I becoming self-centered? Am I self-centered? Am I all about me and what I want and what I think you should do? Jonah is infuriated that God spared Nineveh. Think how petty and selfish he's acting. Jonah, this man who proclaimed God's mercy to himself back in chapter 2. Remember what he said in chapter 2? Let me remind us. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and prayed, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah, this man who, who proclaimed God's gracious mercy to himself in chapter 2, is now mad at God for showing the same undeserved mercy to others. I mean, it's right there in his prayer. God, I knew you were going to do this. I was right. I know that you are gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And when it's not about me, I don't like that stuff. As a matter of fact, God, God, just, just kill me. I mean, that's what he says. I'd rather be dead than live to see this. How sad. How tragic. How wicked. How contrary to the character of his God are Jonah's actions. And God speaks to Jonah in this rather pathetic, pitiful prayer. And God really cuts to the chase in verse 4 where we read, And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And that really is the heart of the matter. Who is Jonah? Who does he think he is? Let's apply that to us. Who am I? Who are you to be angry at God and question his gracious actions? There's a great quote from a few years ago. Anne Larnot, writing in Christianity, Christianity Today, said this. You can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you do. Jonah had a double standard. Jonah wanted God 
somehow to have a double standard. And it's easy for us, like Jonah, to have a double standard, especially when a person struggles with or is entrapped in sins that we don't personally struggle with. And there's this human tendency in ourselves to magnify the other person's sin, especially when it's something we don't struggle with, while we minimize our own sin. And that happens all the time in the church. Thinking through some of the sins in the church this morning, even before I came over here, that don't get hit head on maybe as much as, and I'm not minimizing any sin. Sin is sin in God's eyes. But sometimes in the church, we have our pecking order. And I wasn't trying to have alliteration, but three that came to mind this morning are greed and gossip and gluttony. I think we give ourselves a pass on some of those kind of things sometimes while we look at other areas and say, oh, look at them. Not minimizing any sin, but, but let's be real and let's be honest with ourselves that, that we in our flesh, unlike God, have a pecking order sometimes. And it's very easy to point the finger when it's not our struggle. Throughout the Gospels, we read of Jesus himself warning against this kind of double standard rooted in pride and prejudice and self-righteousness. And the fact is what Jonah wanted God to do was absolutely impossible because Jonah wanted God to act in a way that was contrary to God's very own character. God is gracious and compassionate. God is slow to anger and abounding in love. God is a God who relents from sending calamity. And that is never going to change because it is part of who he is. James chapter 1 verse 17 reminds us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Thank God that he is unchanging. That we can trust his unchanging mercy, compassion, and grace. Even as we pray every Sunday in the prayer of humble access. For you are the same Lord whose character is always to have mercy. Thank God that even in a world that is in turmoil and upheaval. Where things are constantly changing. In a world where people often hurt and betray each other. We can trust in him. He, brothers and sisters, is our rock, the one who is unchanging. We can trust his promises. We can trust his character. We can trust his faithful guidance. The guidance of the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jonah's anger was ungodly. It was sinful. Verses 5 through 11 are kind of like a scene two in chapter 4. Because at this point, even Jonah has a pretty clear idea that God is sparing Nineveh. He goes outside of the city and he basically camps out. Again, a very pathetic picture. Camps out to wait and see what will happen. Verse 5 says that he set to the east of the city and made a booth there for himself. He sat in the shade till he could see what he would become of the city. We also read that God provided a vine, some translations say a gourd, which gave additional shade to Jonah. 
picture the scene. Here's Jonah out in the middle of the desert. He may have taken some rocks and piled them up. Then he took what little wood he could find and he spanned it over the top of them to provide a little bit of minimal cover. But the real shade came from the vine which God provided. The vine which God made to grow up over him. But the vine was more than a temporary shelter because the vine, hear me, the vine provides the key object lesson in all of chapter four. Because it gives us a picture of how God's unchanging character stands in stark contrast to Jonah's inconsistent character and Jonah's double standards. In our humanity and our vulnerability, and our vulnerability to self-centeredness and self-serving attitudes, sometimes we can become a little bit like Jonah. And sometimes if we do not watch our lives closely and carefully guard our hearts, we can become a whole lot like Jonah. Jonah who rejoiced when God provided the vine. Here again, do you see the double standard? Do you see the hypocrisy? Jonah once again is seen rejoicing in God's gracious gift and provision to him. And at the very same time, he's displeased and angry and entering into sin because of his displeasure with the fact that God would extend the same wonderful grace and mercy to the Ninevites who Jonah still despised. All of this should cause me It should cause each one of us to pause and to take note, to ask God to examine our hearts. I think we need to ask ourselves, often in our attitude toward God's blessing and grace in the lives of others, how much of Jonah do we see in ourselves at times? Do we rejoice when God blesses someone else? Do we rejoice when God's favor comes upon someone else, even someone we might not like in a wonderful way? How much of Jonah do we see in ourselves right now, right here this day? Do we get mad at God for pouring his grace into someone else because they don't deserve God's mercy, they don't deserve God's grace, they don't deserve God's salvation, they're not worthy? Thank God if we're trusting in Christ as Savior. None of us, beginning with me, has gotten what we deserve. We need to be incredibly careful and ask God to check our heart attitudes by his spirit, lest we become like Jonah. Chapter 4 concludes with Jonah speaking to God. Look at verses 10 through 11. The Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night. Excuse me, I said Jonah speaking. It's the Lord speaking to Jonah. Make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Jonah cares more And it's more concerned about the vine than he is about the eternal destiny of the Ninevites. And Jonah stands condemned by his own words and actions.
He cares for the vine and has worked over, up over it rather than the possibility of the destruction of Nineveh. But not God. It was God's heart to not see Nineveh destroyed, but to see them repent and turn to him. Look at verse 11 again. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? God cares deeply beyond what we can even comprehend. God cares deeply for people who are so messed up and so trapped in sin that they don't have a clue how to get out. They don't know their right from their left. That was the case with Nineveh. There's a story that's told of a criminal in Great Britain named Charlie Peace who was a well-known and notorious criminal. He was hanged on July 4th, 1854. As they processed to the gallows, a clergyman accompanied him and read these words aloud. Those who die without Christ experience hell, which is the pain of forever dying without the release which death itself can bring. When these chilling words were read by the clergyman, Charlie Peace stopped in his tracks and spun around and looked at the clergyman and said, do you believe that? Do you really believe that? And the clergyman, kind of taken aback by the intensity of the verbal assault, stammered for a moment and said, well, I suppose that I do. And Charlie Peace said this, well, I don't. But if I did, I'd get down on my hands and knees and crawl all over Great Britain, even if it were paved with pieces of broken glass, if I could rescue one person from what you just told me about. God calls us to care for people in the same way that he does. We can't do that in our flesh. Do you understand that? In our own human nature, we can't do that. It requires being aligned with the heart of God, infused with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, because it's a God thing. To care for, the, for people in the way that God does. To not feel slighted when God extends grace and mercy to someone else that we might think in our flesh doesn't deserve it. To rejoice in God's grace. And to remember, and this is only by God's grace as well, that except for God's grace, that person in that horrible situation, it could be you or it could be me. We need, brothers and sisters, to ask God to continue shaping and molding our perceptions, the way we see things, Every day, so that we see with the eyes and the heart and the mind of God and not the eyes and the heart of the flesh. God had compassion. God did the very thing that short circuited Jonah's brain. These wicked Ninevites, these Hebrew people, despite the sins they, who oppressed the Hebrew people, rather despite the sins they had committed, experienced God's mercy and compassion. We 
Remember what we said at the beginning of this series. One of the key messages of the book of Jonah is that nobody is beyond the reach and the grasp of God's grace and God's transforming power. Think of who in your mind the most vile and wicked person in the world might be. They are not beyond God's saving grace. This community, this neighborhood we talk about right down the hill is filled with people who are not beyond God's saving grace. It's filled with people who are, in many cases, so entrapped in their sin, they don't know their right from the left, and they don't have a clue how to get out of it. But we have the answer. Not that it's easy. We're not talking about cheap thing, cheap talk and pat answers. But through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, we have the answers as we live out the transforming power of God in our own lives and in the life of this church. And we have the heart of God for our community and for our world. Even people who we might think of as Ninevites. Because God can reach them. And God can change them. Let us pray. Father, forgive us. God, have mercy on us for those times when we and I have rejoiced in your grace to us. But we've held that grace for ourselves. Or we've sold short the true reality of your saving, transforming power to set people free. God, fill us with your heart. Fill us with your mind. Infuse us with the power of your Holy Spirit. That our thoughts would be your thoughts. Lord, our eyes, the way we see the world around us, would be through your eyes. And that you would fill us with your godly, righteous character. And you would fill us with your grace and mercy and compassion because you are the same Lord who always delights in showing mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.